0: Dismiss the little ones with Pastor Milton and Miss Rita this morning. So, Katie, Michaela, y'all's welcome to go. Uh, bigger ones, you're going to get to stay in here with us, and you're going to hear from the Lord as well. Amen. Amen. Love it. I love Michaela this morning too. She had a she had an eye on the flags, and it was real. It was like she was pouncing. It was so good. It was so good. She was waiting, and poof, she went and got it. Amen. Amen. So, if you will. Open up to Isaiah chapter 61. I love what Bob prayed, and I love, I love, love, love what Logan sang this morning. Isaiah 61, and um, thank you, buddy, so much. I've talked hands too much. Thank you. We'll get to Isaiah 61 here in just a moment. So, so this is what we're going to do. Today's actually, I've been preaching series. In a series, uh, today's going to be a standalone message, but I think it's something very important. And um, and then, uh, actually, uh, Pastor Bob's going to preach next Sunday. It's going to be amazing. Excited to hear that. Yes. And then, uh, first Sunday in August, we'll be starting a new series, and uh, that will be called Re- Revival Families, and, uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. But today, we have a standalone one, and uh, we're going to talk... <laughs> about reaching people for Jesus. How about that? Amen? (laughs) Because guess what? We're a church. We're supposed to. That's right. (laughs) Listen, a church that doesn't reach people that's only inwardly focused is a cult. (laughs) And so, and we're not that. It's the truth. And so we're going to reach people for Jesus. So I'm going to rattle off some verses. I'll get there in just a second so we're going to frame this with this one of my favorite verses i talk about it all the time is first john 4 17 which says as he is so are we in this world i love the passion translation that's the nasb the passion translation says as he is right now in the heavenlies so are we in this world and and so so you could take that verse and it says as he is so are we in this world And then you could start to say, you could break that down because I actually looked it up and it actually does mean as Jesus is, we are right here. By the way, we're called Christians, which the original Christians, I see the original first century believers, when they called them Christians, it wasn't a term of endearment. It was actually an insult. It actually meant you little Christ-like ones. You little Christ. And so they would say, Oh, you little Christ. And we're going to crucify you. We're going to boil you alive. They'd say stuff like that. And so it was this insult to call people that, but it became a hallmark of who we are because we are, as a follower of Jesus, like, it's so much more than just praying that prayer to go to heaven. And it's actually giving and surrendering our life to him. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I die daily. It's dying daily, being conformed in his likeness, being transformed from glory to glory and looking more like him than, than we were two weeks ago or 10 years ago or even two minutes ago. I'm going to be transformed and look more like him. So it says, as he is, so are we in this world. So then we can ask the question, well, what's Jesus like? Oh, he's pretty awesome, right? <laughs> he's full of love. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And it's always love and truth together, right? Because love, love without truth ends up leading to hypocrisy and, and rampant free grace. And grace is free, but it gives excuses for things that's blatantly sin. Okay. But then if it's all truth, it comes across as legalism and mean and, and just fundamentalism, and Jesus was not Jesus wasn't a hardcore fundamentalist either. Jesus was full of grace, love and truth. It's it's a both and. They always accompany each other. Jesus didn't come down like this. He did with the religious people. Jesus came up in the form of a servant. And and he did it to transform people's lives. So we could say that we need to be full of love and truth. He's full of mercy and peace and grace. He was full of healing right everywhere he went. He healed people. He he was just, he's just, I don't know, he's pretty awesome. (laughs) He's pretty awesome. And so if that's what he is like, and the Bible says so are we in this world, if my life doesn't line up with what it says he is, then there may need to be some realigning, right? Now, this will be encouraging. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm just saying, if it doesn't look like Jesus, that that is the example we are called to be like. And, and you do not have the excuse to say, I am only human. No, you are a Christ-spirit-filled believer, right? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens your mortal body, which means that you aren't just human anymore, right? You're a spirit-filled believer. So you have the ability to be transformed and look more like Him. All right, so if we can be transformed and look more like Him, I taught on this about a month or so ago, I believe, maybe longer, I can't remember. But Philippians 2.7, now some of you will be like, let me, let me backtrack. Some of you will be like, well, <laughs> that's fine. I know I'm supposed to be like him, but I'm kind of a grouch. <laughs> or I'm kind of a grump, or I tend to be short, I tend to be rude, I have a short fuse. I have this, that, or the other, I have thin skin, I have all those types of stuff. I have lots of buttons, and if you press my buttons, I get just all bent out of shape. We say all these types of things. First of all, if you have thin skin, get new skin. If you have buttons to get pressed, get rid of your buttons, okay? Because Jesus didn't have them. So, anyway. (laughs) So, but we say stuff like that, and then I read something like this that begins to take away excuses. Philippians 2 7 says that Jesus, Paul wrote, that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in a likeness of men. Now, we understand, we've taught this before, but this part's review. That he was fully God. He was fully God. But when he came to earth, it says that he emptied himself and he was fully man. What does that mean? It means that Jesus didn't use his... <laughs> let me phrase it like this. Genesis 1.1, they said, let there be light. And he spoke and light was released from his mouth. 186,000 miles per second. Like, Jesus, when he came to earth, he didn't use anything that was to his advantage. So when he emptied himself out, he literally emptied himself out of the power that he had. And we'll show you here in a second that he actually lived a life as a spirit-filled man. Why? To show us what it looks like to be a spirit-filled man. Now, he was fully God. I'm not saying he wasn't God. So if someone hears this and says, oh, you're saying, no, No, I'm saying he's fully God. I'm saying he chose to empty himself and say, even though I have this ability, even though I created the universe, even though that all things consist, all things hold together through me, in me, all this amazing stuff, I'm choosing not to operate like this. Why? Why? so that I can show them what it looks like for a person to get filled with the Holy Spirit and live in covenant relationship with the Lord and walk in a holy life, which is what we believe, right? All right, so he did this. So if he could do that, and he's full of love and grace and truth and mercy and peace that goes beyond all understanding, I believe, I'm naive enough to believe that we can be too. Because I believe that's how we win our city. And I'm going to talk about how we win our city. All right. So, if you will, look at Isaiah 61. <laughs> oh, man. Isaiah 61 was prophesying about Jesus. And actually, Jesus quoted this after he went out into the wilderness and got filled with the Spirit. But, all right, he went out to the wilderness, got tempted, and then got baptized. The Spirit came, filled him descended on him like a dove. All right, so Isaiah 61. I'm just going to read the first four verses because I think that's where we're going to camp out. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins, they will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. All right, so... We believe we've been called to reach a city. And not only, like, like, again, we've said this a lot here. We're not called to just grow a church. We're called to transform a city, right? Well, how can we do that? By his Holy Spirit. And it says right off the bat, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've taught some of this before, and that's okay. Some of it's going to be review, and it's good. So it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When Isaiah prophesied this and when Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, we understand and we get filled with the Spirit. Filled means there has to be somewhere for it to go. Like we understand new covenant Christianity, like God's not out living in the tent and we go have the tent a meeting and meet him or we go up on top of the mountain and go talk to him. We come back down. We tell the people what he said. No, he lives inside of us. You are a palace fit for a king. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We understand that. But it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Which would mean that not only when you get filled with him, not only does he live in you, but he comes upon you. Him living within me transforms me and makes me more like him. Him living within me and transforming me enables me to live a holy life, which means I don't have to be bound by sin or bound by this, that, or the other. I get set free. We'll talk about that here in a second. But when he is upon me, That's for their benefit. He's in me for mine, and he's upon me for you all's. He's upon me for theirs. Make a whole lot of sense here in a second. So it's like this. Like if I'm going down the street, I'm a spirit-filled believer. He lives inside of me. It's a good day. He's with me, right? He didn't say, I'll meet you up next week sometime, Michael. He's actually here. But because he came and he rests on me, means that any person I come in contact with has an opportunity to get Jesus on them. How about that? We were helping Jeff yesterday load up some stuff and John Jersey was over there and John goes, you're disgusting. I said, what? Uh, John John never holds anything back, by the way. (laughs) John goes, you're disgusting. I was like, why? He goes, you have sweat all over you and I just got some of your sweat on me. (laughs) I'm sure it was kind of (laughs) gross. You understand that if I was hot and sweaty and I'm starting to get a little bit, but if I was hot and sweaty and I took John's hand, John gets hot and sweaty or gets that on him. Now, my hands weren't too bad right yet. But you understand that's what happens. So when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me, that John's a cashier, and I pay, and I give you money. I don't have anything on my hand. Just hold your hand. I give him the money. He takes my card or whatever, and he touches me. He has the opportunity to get Jesus all over him because the Spirit of the Lord rests upon me. Which would mean that we need to be praying, Jesus, don't just transform me from glory to glory, but transform me to such a degree that it ends up coming out of my pores because I'm so stuffed and filled with you. We've taught this before, like a bottle of water isn't full unless it's overflowing, right? Because there's still that little bit. So we want so filled that he comes upon us. That way, anywhere and everywhere we go, we have the ability to give Jesus away. And by the way, you do not have the ability to give Jesus away on your own, right? Because if you did, that's called random acts of kindness. And yeah, that does help people out. And I want to do random acts of kindness But I want to do spirit filled acts of kindness because that leads to transformation. All right. (coughs) Buddy, can you get me some water, son? Thank you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The point there's lots of points to the gospel. So obviously, He died, saved me of my sins, but there's so much more than that. We get saved so that other people can get saved. (laughs) It's like really simple. I get saved, and because what he did for me, it's so amazing that I can't shut up about it. I can't keep it secret. It's like, you know, how many of y'all, I know know Jeremy's a fisherman, or at least film's fishing, right? But how many of y'all like to fish? Like when you find a really good hole, how many of y'all want to tell everyone else that you found a really good hole? no. It's no one else's business, right? Yeah, that's where I'm going to go and catch it. (laughs) Well, Jesus is the exact opposite. (laughs) You get something so good, you get something so good that when other people find out about it, for some weird reason, it actually increases in your life. Other people come and get a drink from the well, and it's like the well gets deeper and bigger. I don't understand it, but that's the way of the kingdom. Yeah. So when we give them away, it happens. So that's the point of the gospel. Now, let's look at this verse by verse or phrase by phrase. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted. Anointing, we talked about this too, means to be smeared and stuffed with oil. To be smeared and stuffed with the presence of God. Think of that. You get stuffed, that's filled. You get smeared. <laughs> it's like, let's lather that baby up, right? <laughs> I mean, smeared, stuff. let's get completely covered. And the thing about anointing, during this time, anointing symbolized holiness and authority. Symbolized the Spirit of God, symbolized holiness and authority. Kings and prophets and priests could all be anointed to signify that they had been set apart and selected for that specific role. Well, guess what? <laughs> You're all royalty. We're a kingdom of priests, actually, is what the Bible tells us. We all have the ability to, proph- ability to prophesy, to speak what the Lord says, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. What else right here? And we're priests. That's we're kingdom of priests. So we have all this amazing stuff. So this could mean that we could get anointed and filled with the Lord to such a degree that it sets us apart for a new call. So he anoints us to bring good news to the afflicted. Well, who are the afflicted? The oppressed, the needy, the tormented, the weak, and not able to help themselves. What you think of that? Now, I don't want you to think of someone that, 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 that's an invalid and can't do anything on their own. I want you to actually think there are some people that struggle with sin to such a degree that they're unable to help themselves anymore. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm anointed to take care of those people. And we already established that 1 John 4.17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. Which would mean, guess who takes care of him right now? Some of y'all are failing, but that's okay. It means we all get to do that. <laughs> there will not be a quiz afterwards, but you do get bonus points if you can remember it. Jesus said, I've been anointed. To proclaim the good news to the afflicted. It's also afflicted, means to those with a low status in society. What's the good news? You can be free. You're hurting, you can be restored and filled with joy. You're sick, you can be healed. You're broken, you can be put back together in a stronger way. You're lost, you can be found. You're blind, oh great, you can see. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that that part that you can't really quite define what's wrong with you. And and if some of you say that I have nothing wrong with me, then then I think you're probably lying and need to repent of that. But but sometimes some of us think we just have this one thing. If we could get satisfied that we would be okay in this world, and if we could just do this, this, or this, that would make everything okay. And then guess what? You were really hard to get the promotion, and you feel more empty than you did than when you thought if you. We get that one thing that would make everything okay. And what it is, is the good news of the gospel is that part of you that is lacking, that part of you that can never get satisfied, that part of you that is always left wanting, that Jesus comes and he fills it. And the good news of the gospel is that you're not left wanting anymore because the very thing that you always wanted is always found in him. It was for real, everything I ever wanted was found in Jesus. Love, grace, mercy, acceptance, validation. I strive my whole life trying to gain people's approval on the baseball field. So they say, "Good job, buddy!" Right? Or, or "Good game!" A patch on the hind end, like they do. I don't understand that, but they do that. Everything I ever wanted was found in Him. All the acceptance I ever wanted was found in Him. All the love that I tried to do good and get people to approve of me and even just brag on me, that was found in him, right? The value that I wanted, it was found in him. It's like, oh, you gave your life because you thought I was worth it. That's crazy. It's found in him. Oh. It's gonna get good, Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To bind up the brokenhearted. Get in here. Bind means to wrap up. So this is like this. He says, not all men want to preach the good news, but sometimes good news, giving away good news, is is this. Sometimes the most Jesus, I almost said Jesus y, that's not a word, but sometimes the most Jesus y thing you can do is sit next to someone that's hurting and not try to give them all the right answers. It's like people with chronic sickness and like, I think the Lord heals and I believe the Lord heals and I believe it's the Lord's will to heal, but sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut and wrap your arms around them and say, I'm sorry. But he wraps his arms around the brokenhearted. And brokenhearted literally means those who feel like their lives are shattered to pieces. And he enables us to do that. Now, some of y'all, we say this phrase a lot here too, or at least I do. You guys will, maybe eventually. unless you, And, and maybe not even a joke eventually. But some of y'all, we know people that have more problems than the three-legged run-over dog or some of us feel like we have more problems than a three-legged run over dog, right? Like, how in the world can I do this? Because as he is, so are we in this world. That's how I can do that. Because Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. And yeah, I'm tired and I'm worn out, and I don't feel like taking a phone call at 11 o'clock at night. But Jesus is going to fill me, and Jesus is going to give me the ability to be there with someone that's hurting, that's broken, because that's what he would do. Jesus would give you the ability to do it at your work when you ask someone, how are you doing? And they say, oh, I'm fine. And you look in their eyes, and you know that they are hurting and broken. And rather than rushing off to go do your task, you stop for just a moment to say, no, seriously, how are you? He enables us to do that. Enables us to do that, and that's how we win a city. Look, I'm con- like, I want to do outreach stuff, programs, this and that. One, we're never ever going to hand out gospel tracts. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm just not going to do it. Just not going to do it because I think you all are the gospel track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. And I love this part. To proclaim liberty means to summon, means to call about. So here's this Jesus that goes, and he's like, if you're captive, come to me. Which, that's kind of mind-boggling too, isn't it? If I'm captive, how can I go to him? (laughs) Because I'm captive, I'm held prisoner. (laughs) It's by his word that calls us forth. Because his word is strong enough to break any stronghold. That was good. That was Jesus. Someone ought to write that down for me. Uh, It means to call. It's recorded. Thank you. It means to call and it means to shout, to proclaim. All right. John Wesley said that liberty, he said, this pertains to Christ's kingly office, whereby he proclaims liberty from the dominion of sin and from the fear of hell, which means that he says liberty to the things I'm struggling with, and he says liberty to I don't have to be afraid whether I'm going to go to hell or not if I fall in love in love with Jesus. Right. And, and oh, come on, this gets really good. He, it, it says that he proclaims liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Freedom, it actually means Jesus says, come here, come here, come here, and they come to him, but then sometimes he actually goes to, does freedom, and he's like, oh, you're held captive? I've got the keys <laughs> and he unlocks the door and he says come on out from the cage that you're living in and not only not only this it actually means that he's shouting this when it says that he came to proclaim liberty Jesus actually the picture is this he says the spirit of the lord is upon me to preach the good news and he comes and he says you can be free you can be free you can be free you can be free and he's hollering it is the way that this reads in the hebrew which I think it means this, it should not be a secret that we love Jesus and that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not telling you to be obnoxious about it, but I'm saying if you see someone that's hurting and you see someone that's like, oh, I got to have this, or I was walking the dog the other day and someone came up and asked me for a few bucks to go get some liquor. They were very transparent. I said, dude, you don't need that. He said, no, I really do. And I said, you can be free. Amen, that should have got more than one amen. Jesus comes through shouting, you can be free, which means that we ought to be able to live our lives with such a boldness that we can tell people you can be free. You can be free. And it's not an obnoxious jerk thing, by the way. I think telling someone, look, you don't have to struggle with what you're struggling with anymore. You've got to be bound by that. I think that's the most loving thing you can possibly do. You gotta you don't gotta struggle with self-esteem, as you sweetheart, anymore. He loves you so stinking much. He gave his life for you. He thought you had created value and potential and destiny. I think you got a lot of worth. Yes. Because Jesus thinks you have a lot of worth. Just blow that stuff up, man. What would it look like if we lived our lives, I'm reading this verbatim, if we lived our lives knowing that everyone we come in contact could be free by us simply proclaiming freedom over their life? We'd start to see revival in our families. We'd start to see revival in our neighborhoods and our job places. We get that privilege. Now, I'm not telling you to, you know, walk in the Heine brothers, although, like, I'm feeling like I want to work up to it, but going and just running and jumping on the table and going, You can be free at the top of your lungs. Like, I mean, that would be pretty cool if I could work that up, but I'm not telling you to do that. But I am telling you that He wants to fill you to such a degree that you can't help but not share the good news about him. Yeah. All right. And as he is, so are we. <laughs> to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, or the year of Jubilee, and the day of vengeance of our God. Like, I like the Jubilee part. And I used to not want to even talk about the day of the vengeance of our Lord, but I actually uh, found something in the last two weeks that's really been messing with me. But obviously, the year of Jubilee was when slaves were freed and lame was returned to the original owners. It was supposed to occur every 50th year or after every seven jubilees and was announced by a trumpet blast on the day of atonement all right so it was just really amazing time when debts and free everything was amazing <laughs> but then it says in the day of vengeance of our god you know what i think the day of vengeance of our god is i believe this with all my heart that the day of vengeance of our god we understand that He's just and there's heaven. We understand that. But the day of vengeance of our Lord, I believe, is the restoration of on earth as it is in heaven. Like how how do you pay the devil back? How do you pay him back? How does God get vengeance on him? By taking back what he took. So how do I get vengeance in my life? Well, I used to struggle with alcohol, but the Lord set me free. That's vengeance, right? Because it's because there's no alcoholics in heaven, right? There's no one I need to get a drink. There's none of that. There's there's it, it, vengeance would be the taking care of a widow that needed help, right? Or or vengeance would be forgiving my enemies when they wrong me and when they talk bad about me. And it would, vengeance is turning the other cheek, right? Or or vengeance is is walking humbly and vengeance is esteeming others above yourself. It's, if vengeance is the exact antithesis of what we are taught to do in this world. And so when he says, and, and the vengeance of the Lord will come, I believe it's a restoration again of on earth as it is in heaven, which is what he told us to pray anyway in Matthew six ten, And that is what he desires for this place. I don't have to wait to go to heaven to experience heaven. I can call it down here on earth right here and right now. <laughs> the comfort those who <laughs> the comfort those who mourn this will get really cool here in a sec I think it's all cool the comfort those who mourn again Jesus he consoles those who are mourning by bringing the kingdom to them right he consoles those who are mourning Well, it's mourning those that are Suffering from death, lost destruction, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's 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 changed the way you think because it's within arm's reach. How else does he comfort those who are mourning? This is really neat. He says, I'm gonna give them a garland instead of ashes. What in the world does that even mean? Ashes were used for mourning. Garlands were used for beauty. And so Jesus announces, look, you're in mourning, you're sad, you're struggling, and I'm going to take the very thing that you're struggling with, and I'm not not only am I going to take it off of you, but I'm going to put something on you that makes you even more beautiful to me. What's that? The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. I'm not talking about Magazine prettiness. I'm talking about be adorned with righteousness, like the robe of righteousness I think probably looks pretty good in his eyes. He's like, man, they look good. They're covering the righteousness. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The oil of gladness. And again, it means to be Smeared means to be anointed with gladness, with joy, which be like this, and we all know someone that whenever you're around them, you just it's contagious, you just like to be around them. They're always laughing, they're always smiling like, that person's filled with Jesus. My grandmother was that way, man. It was like it wouldn't matter what was going on, but she was always just so filled with fact. I think it was because the Lord was all over her, she'd been covered with the oil of gladness instead of mourning that's why some people that are going through extreme suffering are some of the most joyful people in the world and i don't understand that because it's like some people I'm like you're walking through hell i'm i'm like i had someone write something mean about me on the internet this week and i'm like all been out of shape about that and and then you're walking through this hell and yet you've got this joy on your life he says i'll do that for you Right? It's so good. By the way, I think it'd be really good if we could just get smeared with gladness anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I've said for years that sometimes... (laughs) (laughs) One of our churches, we used to have the ushers sit in the very back middle. And they did no ushing, but they were called Usher's they sit right back there and it looked like that they had just drank at least five gallons of pickle juice right because they're all (laughs) All i'm sorry like if you got christ in you the hope of glory and you say you're joyful you probably should tell your face that you're joyful right i mean seriously seriously what would it look like if we got so covered with gladness that everyone around us said like Dude, why are you so happy all the time? And you could go, let me tell you why. And it's not because my life's easy. It's not because I have no problems. It's not because of X, Y, or Z. If anything, man, my life is a train wreck. But I have Jesus who has me, and He's helped me. He saved me. He's sanctified me. He set me free. I'm no longer bound by sin and guilt and shame and condemnation. That's why I'm happy. I don't even have a good day. Today is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it today. Right? And and I and and by the way, I don't even have a wrong side of the bed. To Wake up on, and it doesn't matter what side of the bed I get up on, it's going to be the good side because He made today, so that's why I'm happy. Just start doing that to people, watch what happens. <clears throat> I felt crazy eyes <laughs> to give a mantle of praise instead of fainting. Oh, this is so cool! You have a mantle of praise. So, and again, all of this is as he is, so are we in this world. So if this is what Jesus came to do. This is what we can come to do because he lives inside of us. All right. I want you to remember that. To give a mantle of praise instead of fainting. It means to literally clothe with something that you cannot keep to yourself. <laughs> it's like, Bob, excuse me. Your Jesus is showing today. I'm kidding, but I'm dead serious. It's to be clothed with something you just can't keep to yourself. You know what fainting means, by the way? I mean, you know, we know what fainting is, right? But fainting, <laughs> fainting means to be so disheartened that you're silenced. You know what fainting is? Fainting is like, and I know parents understand this, like sometimes your kids pout, right? And it's like, are you happy? Of course I'm happy, right? And everyone's doing this amazing stuff, and then your kids just look like, well, I don't know. They pout. Fainting looks like <laughs> you're the one sore thumb that sticks out in the entire room. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you a mantle of praise. You're not even going to be able to complain. You're not even going to be able to look downtrodden anymore. I want to give you something that's so amazing that you can't shut up about it and this is what's so neat this is where I want to transition it says they will be called oaks of righteousness so who will be called oaks of righteousness all of the people that we do the aforementioned things to with what do I mean When we preach the good news to the afflicted, they become an oak of righteousness. When I comfort those who mourn, they become an oak of righteousness. See, we, we have always translated it like this. If I help people, if I talk about Jesus, I'm an oak of righteousness, which you probably are, but that's not what this is saying. This is saying that the people that we reach with the good news of the kingdom become oaks of righteousness. Which looks like this, like, I remember growing up and dad used to hunt rabbits growing up and we'd drive our truck into the field and, and like sometimes we go to like tree farms, right? Or Christmas tree farms, things like that. You can run a truck over miniature Christmas trees, over miniature pine trees, because they, they bend, right? If You run your truck over an oak tree like that, you're probably gonna end up needing a new bumper. Because it's a hard wood. Which I think is very significant. Because even if they're a brand new believer. They're an oak of righteousness. Which means that they're strong and unwavering. I read this fascinating thing too by the way. That when Katrina hit. April like this. She's fascinated with Katrina. But when Katrina hit in New Orleans. St. Charles Street. Anyone ever been to New Orleans? But St. Charles uh, Street had 700 oak trees on St. Charles and only four of them were injured or had limbs that broke off during the storm. You know what's amazing about an oak tree? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> an oak tree, they, they said this is what happened, is that most oak trees' trunks are twisted, right? It's like they're, they're twisted, which means that when the wind comes, that there's not as much surface area for the wind to hit. It means that it kind of goes off of them. Also when a giant storm comes through an oak tree's leaves do this instead of being like this they curl up and they actually make themselves very, very aerodynamic to very little wind hits them and then there's the roots they have the tap root that goes way down but most oak trees that are planted near each other the roots are only 18 inches deep and they intertwine with the trees that are around them, next to them, making them stronger so that when the wind comes and blows, that this tree may be really getting its world rocked, but these two trees next to it are not, and they're not moving, and because these two aren't moving, this one's not going to move. And he says, you'll become an oak of righteousness. And we get the privilege of leading people into that kind of lifestyle. You know what that lifestyle is? Though you slay me, I'm still going to praise you. Or come hell or high water, he's still good, right? And, and even though the devil's eating my lunch, he's not going to get me completely, right? I mean, that's just saying I'm digging in because God's good no matter what's going on in my life. He says, they will be oaks of righteousness. <laughs> they will be oaks of righteousness. They'll be the planting of the Lord. The planting means they'll be the garden of the Lord. It means that they'll start to create fruit, which is why most new believers are the greatest evangelists on the planet. Because some of us, if we're honest, don't really remember what Jesus did for us when we got saved, and we don't talk about it. That's why it's so good to talk about it all the time. All right, let's move forward real quick. So how's revival brought to our city? Verse 4, then, so they got free, they got caught an oak of righteousness, and then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. They refers to the afflicted, the brokenhearted, The former prisoners and the former captives, the former mourners, they will be the ones that rebuild the ancient ruins. We think, and I had to repent this week when I read that, I thought, Lord, I've been, (laughs) you called me to change the city, and while there is truth to that, it's not my job to change the city it's not even my job to win the city. My job is to proclaim the good news to the poor. My job is to comfort those that are wounded and brokenhearted. Your job is to do the exact same thing. Your job is to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Your job is, really, Jesus, First John says, that he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's divine vengeance if I ever heard any. Our job is to destroy the works of the devil by giving hope away everywhere we go. And then those people get the world rocked by Jesus and they go to their day-to-day lives and they go home and, and they're at their jobs and, and, and everyone around us knows what's going on in our life because we're such a public people and we share everything, everything we share. And they say, what happened to you? Oh, let me tell you, I met a man And his name is Jesus. And he wants to set you free. I mean, it's just a cyclical thing. So our job (laughs) is to host the presence of the Lord to such a degree. I'm doing it. I did it. And Neil and Jairus are back today and I want to do this move. Hadn't forgot. Our job is to host the presence of the Lord to such a degree that people's lives begin to get changed. And as they change, They rebuild this city. It's like, how do we win the city? One person at a time. How do we win the city? One conversation at a time. How do we win the city? One really good tip to a waiter that probably doesn't deserve it at the time, right? How do we win the city? By helping one widow or one orphan at a time. The greatest ministry that any of us will ever have is the person who's directly in front of us in the moment. It's like, there's a lot of preachers in here. This is not the greatest ministry you will ever have. The greatest ministry you will have is when you're one-on-one with someone giving Jesus away. The greatest ministry some of you will ever have is giving Jesus to your grandkids. The greatest ministry some of us will ever have is giving Jesus to your children or to your spiritual children, the ones you're raising up and discipling. That's the greatest thing that you could ever do. And he goes on, it's really good. He says, "They'll raise up the former devastations, which actually means that, that people get so filled with Jesus that they end up raising up dead things. <laughs> they end up raising up dead things. We'll see if that works. They end up, raising up dead, they end up raising up dead things, okay? Which means that they walk into their jobs and say, look, I was blind, but now I see, right? Or I was depressed, but now I'm not. You get the idea that when people get filled with him, they end up giving him away, which is what we should do. And then it says they'll repair, which means restore and make anew. When I, I was thinking about the city of Louisville, and I don't know the history exactly, but when it was first settled, do we think, Do we think that this is the vision that the original settlers had for it? I don't think so. Is this the original intent what the Lord had for our city? I don't think so. I don't think that's what the Lord originally intended when this place was founded. So what does that mean? It means that we go, we give Jesus away everywhere we go, and we see life and life abundant come. And, and as we do that, we start to see the church grow. Well, we need to get him here. We need to get him here. Yes, we do. But if we take care of him out there, he'll take care of it in here. That's the way I feel. But we need to go and give him away and give him away and give him away and give him away. Well, I can't do it. Well, I just give you a list of, reasons why you can because as he is so are you in this world and that was jesus's job description when he showed up on the scene and said the spirit of the lord is upon me oh brother are you saying we're supposed to do the same things as jesus Mm -hmm. well (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm telling you at least try to do what he did jesus takes a step further and says (laughs) You're going to do greater things. Like, again, that would be blasphemy if he hadn't. And, but he's the one who said it, so I'm just quoting him. And I just want to release permission this morning to go give them away. I just want to release permission to go do it. I, look, like, we need evangelism training. Like, I get it. I understand. And there's things we need to train people in. I'm just telling you to be the most loving and kind and spirit-filled person you could possibly be and watch what happens. I'm telling you to go and read. Go read Matthew chapter 5, verses what, 1 through 10, the Beatitudes. Read, read the Beatitudes every single day and say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me be poor in spirit, Jesus, today. And watch what the Lord does through your life. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and read about becoming love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And, and if you're not patient and if you're not kind, start trying to focus and ask the Lord to make you that way until you can move on to the next one. And do that out and about in the public. That's how we're going to win our. City. I, I promise you it's not going to be by a million dollar outreach budget where we can have the biggest blow up bounce house out front. It's, although I like those things. Those things are really, really fun right? However we're going to reach our city by every one of us saying this is what he did for me. This is what he did for me.